Welcome to another edition of Back in Session, DMGS podcast with your hosts, Ryan Stevens and Ryan Demare. How's it going, Ryan? Uh, I don't know. I apologize in advance if uh, voice is a little little nasally today. That time of year, I think I might be coming down with something. Well, hope you hope you feel better. Uh, and I don't think our viewer or our listeners have to worry because they listen to my nasally voice as well. Um, for the last couple of episodes, I have a deviated septum, which I refuse to get fixed. So my wife uh, makes fun of me for it, but it is what it is. So if they can deal with me, I think they can deal with you. Uh, well, well, to manage for the day, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a this is a fun a fun podcast uh, from two two former campaign staffers, politicos. We're going to talk about election results. Um. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty interesting election, don't you think? Yeah, it was interesting. I think to a degree, as as you know, the campaign staffer never really you never really lose the the election night uh, adrenaline, and I know we were both up late sort of tracking results uh, around the country. Obviously, Ohio had the two ballot referendums that Katie talked about a couple episodes ago. Jersey obviously had their legislative elections, well, which we will hear about a little bit more here with our, our guest uh, for today's episode. Uh, obviously, Kentucky, Governor Bashir won re-election in a race that was, that was supposed to be pretty competitive. Yeah, Tate Reeves in Mississippi won re-election for Governor Yeah, Republican. Governor Reeves won. And Virginia Democrats took control of they now have control of both chambers, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So they flipped the they flipped the House and held the Senate. Yeah. So I mean overall, pretty, pretty good night, I think, for Democrats. Democrats swept the four statewide judicial races in Pennsylvania. Um, I will say, you know, you mentioned that we were tracking results late last night, and I gotta say, tracking election results has certainly changed for me and and I think for you too, because Back in the campaign days, a lot of if anybody listening is a former campaign staffer, a current campaign staffer, once election or once the polls close on election day, you sit there. You know there are all these uh, you know election night parties where you know the vibes are are good or, or not so good depending on how things are going. But the campaign staffer is always either in the background or not there at all with a laptop. And my last. My last major campaign in 2016, I remember being at our victory office until three o'clock in the morning until they called the presidential race uh, for for Trump in Pennsylvania. That was uh, certainly not a fun day the next day. I mean, it was fun uh, for, for, for certain election results, but it wasn't fun in terms of, you know, I had zero sleep that night. And I don't know about you, Ryan, but last night I got together with a bunch of former campaign staffers and we we watched election results on tv and played uh played a little bit of poker so it was definitely a lot more relaxing uh than years past i'm not a fan of the election night parties personally i like being in front of the computer i like being able like i almost don't want to be talking to a bunch of people or people asking me because i've had that experience too what are you seeing what's going on it's like i don't know yet like just give it a couple hours especially with how mail-in voting is now, you just have to be patient. And uh, the tracking is always something that I found kind of funny because you're getting the same information. You might just be getting it like five minutes sooner. Yeah. It's not actually really coming in. Now, when you start using it to make projections and turn out in certain precincts and compare with historical data, that's the part of it I enjoy. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I do find it interesting when when certain folks may be looking at election results early on and they can tell how it's going to go. And so sometimes that they're right. But I've noticed lately a lot of times and I think it's just the changing landscape of our electoral politics where, you know, when you have this prevalence of mail in voting, just completely changing how we've done elections and, and results and everything that has changed everything. I mean, there were certain races being discussed last night uh, at my little poker poker game uh, where, you know, things were looking good for Republicans in one area or Democrats in another. And it ended up just not mattering at all. Yeah, so, no, I have to ask, did, did you win anything at the game? I will say this. I was uh, I came in second. So I was uh, OK. You know, a couple other of my buddies got out before me. And I was very close to winning, but as with, uh, as with my, you know, previous experience over the last couple of weeks with sports betting on my favorite teams and sports, uh, did not end up coming out on top. So you didn't bet on the Phillies, did you? Um, I did. Pennsylvania does allow sports betting, uh, for anybody curious from out of state, but I did bet a couple i mean i don't bet anything crazy just like a couple dollars here or there um i'm not like super into gambling but i like to make things interesting if i'm not engaged like on it like so for the for the phillies for example i wanted to root for them because my wife's a phillies fan i'm a yankees fan and me and i i'm and and you too yeah you you, of course too yeah i wanted to because you care about my happiness and all this too i do i do yeah not not just my wife but also uh also my my work colleague and friend ryan damara uh the other ryan (laughs) The, the other guy, right? Yeah. Um, so it at least you know allows me to tune in and and have a little bit of I guess skin in the game, so to speak. So you know, throw a couple dollars on just uh, a couple hits or a home run, or you know, I actually won. You know, that when the Phillies were playing well, I won a couple bucks. But other than that, no. All right. Well, I'll I'll refrain from blaming you, I guess, for the for the game seven, six and seven loss, actually. Yeah, you still heartbroken over that part. Well, you can blame me because Amanda, my wife, blames me for the Phillies losing, and I didn't realize this. But um, you know, everybody listening by now knows I'm a Yankees fan. I think I just mentioned you are. You've never talked about that before. I had no idea. I went to the American League Championship Series last year, the game where the Astros eliminated the Yankees in New York. That was bad. Which was awful. It was a terrible experience. I paid way too much money for a ticket and was miserable. It's like, why did I why did I do this? To the day, one year to the day, I went to the National League Championship Series and the Phillies lost. They didn't get eliminated. They got eliminated the next night. But um, yeah, I, I think my wife told me, you cannot go to any more playoff baseball games. Uh, speaking of the city of Philadelphia, New Mayor. Yeah, yeah, back back to our regularly scheduled. This is a government affairs podcast. So, uh, yeah, Mayor Sherelle Parker, hundredth mayor uh, in the history of the city of Philadelphia, first black woman. That's right. Mayor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Historic election, Um, and maybe maybe there can be some sort of resolution to ban you from attending Philadelphia sporting events, as to no longer bring your dark (laughs) cloud over the rest of us. Yeah, you might Uh, have to talk to the new administration there about. Might have to talk. Yeah, might have to to start working on that. Or or maybe city council. I mean, for, for those not familiar with Philadelphia politics, a city council reserves a couple of seats for the minority party, which up until, what, four years ago or so, 
always you know, there, there are two Republicans Correct. guaranteed a seat on city council and Kendra Brooks, who's an incumbent uh, with the working families party. She won uh, her last election. So she was one. And then there was David O, I believe was the other uh, minority party councilman at Republican. large. Yeah. At large. Yeah. Sorry. At large. So David O resigned to run for mayor against Sherelle Parker. Uh, he lost. And now another work, working families party member won the other minority seat. So now Republicans are shut out of the at-large seats and Republican Brian O'Neill, who represents, uh, you know, better than I would, I think Northeast Philly. Yeah. It has for, I want to say 30, 40 years, three or four decades. I think yeah. it's, I think it's in his, in the 40 year mark now. Yeah. So Republicans have one, one seat uh, on city council right now, or at least, yeah, heading into next year. So uh, interesting dynamics all around uh, here in PA. Allegheny County executive race was closely watched. Former state rep Sarah Inamorato uh, beat Joe Rocky, Republican. Um, so I know that there's a lot of money poured into that race. Uh, polls seemed to show that things were close, and it ended up being you know some somewhat close. <laughs> um, but yeah, just very interesting results all around. Um, okay. Well, anyway. So that's that's sort of the recap of the runaround of the, of some of the things that happen around the rest of the country today. Ryan, our guest is Mike Erasmussen, who is the director of the Rebovich Institute uh, at Ryder University. So long career in Jersey politics. Typically, you know, he's a he's typically around election night. I saw him last night. He was featured on NJ Spotlight quite a bit. Very knowledgeable. Really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Yeah, same here. Looking forward to the conversation. All right, so we'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Mike Erasmussen from the Rebovich Institute at Ryan University. Micah, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So I guess first, if you don't mind giving a little bit of overview and your career and, and your background and talk a little bit about the Rebovich Institute before we get into the election results from last night. Well, thanks for asking me about that because um, it's 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 been a cool career. I, it started right here at Ryder. I was an undergrad here. My professor, who meant an awful lot to me and got me started, was Dr. Rebovich, the guy who this institute is named after now. And he set me up in my first internship uh, on a legislative campaign in New Jersey um, way back in the uh, early 1990s. And uh, then I went off in my career. Um, I went to grad school. I managed some campaigns for the legislature. Um, I worked a lot at the beginning of my career with Jeff Van Drew, um, his early freeholder campaigns, early mayoral campaigns. Uh, we really came up together in politics uh, in South Jersey, which is where I grew up. And then I worked in the state legislature as a staffer on the assembly partisan staff um, through the late 1990s. Um, and when Governor McGreevy won the election and was going through his transition, um, I, they asked and I decided to come up and work in Trenton. I had worked with reporters in the legislature, so I had that skill set. And I ran the communication shop at DOT. Um, and then when Jamie Foxx, who was the legendary transportation commissioner, was asked to be McGreevy's new chief of staff and fix some of his rookie year mistakes, um, he brought me with him to the front office. So the last job I did in politics was Governor McGreevy's press secretary. When he left office, his historic resignation, I left office, spent 15 years in the private sector. But really, the thing that I loved most was the uh, was the class that I taught every semester. So when I had a chance to take it full time and come back to Ryder, I did. 
And I've been doing that ever since. So what Rebovich does is we uh, connect um, students with internships in the field. Uh, Dwayne Morris has been a, an incredible supporter uh, and placed a couple of our interns in your, in your office and they've learned a ton from you. And so we really appreciate that. And we hope that that's a relationship we can continue to foster. Um, and we bring public officials to campus. So next week we've got Steve Kornacki to come and uh, help digest the election with us. And um, this commentary is, is sort of the third leg of what I do. I gotta Sorry, say, real, I gotta say real quick, uh, Micah. Um, I'm actually from North Jersey, so for you to say you're from South Jersey, it's like a different world. Yes, it uh, is. <laughs> growing, growing up, between I, us, yeah. we can cover everything, right? Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and I do have to ask you, uh, our, our listeners won't be able to see this, but looks like you've got a bunch of campaign buttons behind you. What what are some of the your favorite ones there, the coolest ones? That's a great question. I'm, I'm so glad you asked me about this. This is a relatively new collection for me, or I should say that I only just finished it. And it's a, it's a finite collection. It starts with about when campaign buttons um, uh, came into uh, mass circulation. So the 1897 governor's race I've got all the nominees for Republicans and Democrats for every gubernatorial election ever since. So it's specific to New Jersey. And if you're if you're if you're doing a New Jersey collection, there's no race and there's no office like governor. So I've focused on governor. The last one that I got was Peter Shapiro, 1985. That was the hardest one. So there's a soft spot in my heart for that one. But you know, Woodrow Wilson is a is a is a favorite. That's that's probably the rarest and and um I don't know, Bob Miner ran so many times, Jim Florio ran so many times. So there's more of them on the board than there are other candidates. But I I, I enjoy it. It's a very esoteric collection, a very New Jersey collection. That is awesome. <laughs> That's that really is awesome. Great. And those are all original going yeah, back. Yeah, no reproductions, as far as I know, unless somebody unless somebody fooled me. Here's here's a good <laughs> one. Beat Haig, vote Driscoll. And of course, that was Boss Haig and the uh the Republican governor. Uh, Driscoll ran against Haig and, and actually won. So even though Haig was not on the ballot. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. I uh, always love hearing those types of stories and things. And we were chatting a little bit the other Ryan and I about election night as campaign staffers and kind of the shift into what we do now. And it, it never really does leave you right to a degree. Once you're in, it's you're true. in to a degree. The energy right? <laughs> level, right? That yeah, yeah. The camaraderie. You you don't you don't ever have another job like that, really. No, absolutely. Um, well, and that's actually a great segue into uh, my next question. So going back to sort of when you started in NJ politics, obviously the landscape has changed quite a bit. Do you mind just touching on sort of what you saw as you were coming up and, and getting involved initially to kind of how you view everything now? Yeah. Uh, for one thing, the Democrats, the party that I worked for, and I've been very glad it's been very liberating to leave my partisanship aside in the classroom. Uh, so I'm very happy to have been able to do that. But uh, the party that I worked for was in the minority party. Democrats, believe it or not, throughout the 1990s, the Florio backlash were a decided minority, had the kinds of numbers that we're looking at Republicans having in the state legislature now. Um, and so that's probably the biggest change in our politics, but also Polarization was not something we were dealing with. The ability to put things aside and work together was something that was, you know, easier to come by then. Um, there was a common sense of uh, 
of, of, of community in Trenton, Chambersburg people were always going out afterwards and, and spending time together and there were ways to do that. So um, there was just a sense of everybody was in it together then that I don't think is quite the same now. I'm not going to say you can't find it, but I think it's harder to find that today. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, that's something we've probably seen a little bit across the board, no matter what state or what level of government, you know, that that lost art almost of bipartisanship. And that's something that Ryan and I know both enjoy about working in a bipartisan firm is the ability to sort of bring people together and work with both sides to find common ground and, and everything like that. Um, so I know redistricting was a big factor in this year's maps. Do you mind just talking a little bit about what races appeared to have gotten a little bit more competitive? And I guess leading into last night, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, November 8th for all the listeners. Last night, what races were sort of deemed to be competitive coming into it? Any of your takeaways out of those races? So the difference in the map drawing this time was that the tie-breaking member, Phil Karchman, retired judge Phil Karchman, said that he did not want to pick a map. He didn't want to pick between the Republican map or the Democrat Democratic map. He said, you guys figure it out. Broker uh, a, a compromise that's acceptable to both of you, figure out, give me one map. And he said, if you don't do that, because that sounds sort of utopian, uh, you know, you figure it out. But what he said was, if you don't do that, then I'm going to make sure that neither side is happy. Uh, and so he did. He got a compromise map. And it was better for Republicans in that theoretically, it created more opportunities for competition. And when you're the minority party, you want more opportunities for competition. And so this potentially expanded the map uh, to more competitive districts. Let's face it, we know, and you talk about other states, we know that what's going on right now nationwide is safer districts, right, across the board, Republican and Democrat. And so um, in theory, this map expands the playing field in New Jersey, not to 40 districts, certainly not, but maybe instead of uh, three or four districts that are competitive, maybe there are double that, right? So we're looking at the third district in, in South Jersey and Salem and Cumberland and Gloucester is competitive um, or could be competitive. All these could be competitive, nothing ensures competition. The fourth district next door in Gloucester County is more competitive, got much more Republican. Um, the eighth district in Burlington and little parts of Atlantic stays competitive or gets a little more competitive even. The 11th district with Vin Gopal gets competitive um, or more com a little more competitive. The 16th with uh, Andrews Wicker, more competitive. The 38th district in Bergen County, more competitive. So on paper, there is a chance, uh, however theoretical, for Republicans to claw back um, some of the way back toward control and maybe all of the way if everything is breaking in their favor. Maybe not the way things worked out last night, but also um, they get another crack at it in two years, right? Yeah, and that's a, another perfect segue into uh, my next question. Looking forward a little bit, I guess, 2024 and more so obviously for a legislative perspective, 2025. How What's up, I guess, in 2025? Obviously, I know governor. We're going to make a gubernatorial, but what's up at the legislative level? Well, it's going to be a very different kind of a race than we've had in a, in a while now because it's going to be an open seat for governor. Um, and so the Republicans are going to be going all out. Um, they feel certainly like they have some wind at their sails given 
that Jack Chitterelli came so much closer to Phil Murphy two years ago. So um, they're going to be going for all the marbles. And that should probably mean if they do a good job of recruitment um, for the legislative uh, side of things, that they're going to be competitive in the legislative elections as well. Some of those closer results where they, um, you know, um, last night, maybe where they, 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 they feel that they can compete, they will compete. Um, so they're, they're certainly not going to give up. They may be licking their wounds from last night, but they're going to be competing. Democrats obviously feel like they have wind at their sails after the big numbers that they got out of last night, how they're expanding their majorities, which is something you don't often see with a 20 plus year majority. Um, they're not shrinking their majority, they're expanding it. And so, um, you know, this will be interesting. Look, um, eight years at that point of Democratic control of the governor's office, you'd have to say that Republicans have a pretty good shot of potentially winning that election. So um, it's going to be much more competitive at the top of the ticket. And when it's more competitive at the top of the ticket, I think that will probably mean that it's more competitive. Um, Republicans will probably feel like they've got a draw at the top of the ticket who can get more Republican voters out than they got out last night. Um, I think they probably will like their chances in 25 better than they did in 23. Would you would you say from your perspective, at least me being based in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania now, from what I've heard from folks, you know, just that I have known from from growing up there and family sounded like re Republicans were pretty positive heading into Election Day, they that, they, that they had some pickup opportunities. They were. What, what, yeah. What do you what do you yeah. think? Just what went wrong? for them? <laughs> what, what, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in a nutshell. Um, Democrats built up that early vote firewall for themselves in every district. I mean, I guess the first thing we should say is that uh, Democrats were not caught by surprise, right? The biggest surprise of two years ago was Steve Sweeney, the Senate president, losing his election to Ed Durr. That was a real wake up call. And I think the Democrats were awake and ready and not going to be caught off guard this time. I think one of the big things that has to happen, and we really underrate this, is if you're a challenger, you got to catch your you got to catch your your incumbent un, unprepared, and that wasn't going to happen this time. So Democrats built up these firewalls. They turned out every last vote that they could for early voting in um, the third district and Durr's district. They had seven thousand more Democrats show up early than Republicans even before election day. In the fourth district, it was over 10,000 votes of an advantage that they had built up. Uh, Gopal, it was close to 9,000, Zwicker, 9,000. So what happened was Democrats turned out their vote early. Then they turned to election day voting. So their voters, their voting did not collapse on election day. They didn't cannibalize their vote. They turned out more of their voters on election day. Small numbers, don't want to make this sound like some surge, still 25 or 30% turnout, but they turned out their vote. Republicans didn't. Republicans thought that they had issues that were going to motivate their voters. They didn't. I think we're going to find this is really um, uh, a collapse or a letdown of their turnout. They didn't motivate their voters to turn out. And so they had issues that they thought were going to do that, that were going to be effective in that. They didn't really have the money to communicate those issues. They didn't really have the ability to sustain them. And maybe they didn't hit the way that they thought that they were gonna hit. They polled really well, 
issues like parental notification and, and the cost of, of energy, those hold really well. In retrospect, they didn't motivate their voters, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we can argue about uh, whether they were good issues or not, but they didn't motivate their voters. What are some of the maybe surprises that stand out to you from what happened last night? Um, South Jersey Democrats come roaring back um, for sure. Not completely unexpected, but they got everything done that they needed to get done. Um, they won everything that they set out to win. For that matter, Democrats didn't really lose any of their targets that they had targeted. So that's a surprise. Avi Schnall, the, um, the Orthodox, the new Orthodox Assemblyman elect from Lakewood, um, who runs as a Democrat in a very conservative district. Democrats never been elected in this district before, but Lakewood feels that they want a seat within the Democratic caucus. And so they run, Avi decides to run as a Democrat, wins as a Democrat. And so, um, you know, that's probably the biggest surprise of the night, completely uh, unprecedented. Um, but, um, you know, the Democrats not really losing any of their big races is probably um, the headline and probably the biggest surprise is obviously. And then where, where do you think abortion falls in all this? So there was a lot made out of abortion being safe in New Jersey and protected and those rights not being eroded. And, and, and don't vote based on abortion because um, that's already taken care of. I think there's a big flaw in that theory. And that is pro-life legislators were essentially saying, vote for people who aren't consistent with your views on abortion because they're not gonna be able to do much damage. So vote for people whose, whose views are maybe opposite yours because it ain't going to matter that much, and and I'm not sure I'm not sure that that was a, a a logically consistent argument. I get that Republicans had to make it because what else are they going to say? Uh, we're not coming for for abortion rights, um, but we've heard that before, right? You know, we've heard that from Supreme Court justices before they got confirmed uh, by the U.S. Senate, and that turned out not to be the case. So I think Democrats finally figured out how to talk about abortion in New Jersey as almost a, um, this is going to sound weird to say, as a family value, right? You had in District 16, Andrews Wicker, um, uh, Michelle Drulis, and Roy Freeman, as far as I can remember, all three of them were introduced in television commercials by their daughters and talked about the these legislators' advocacy for their right to decide what happened to their own body as a mainstream view, as a family value, um, and really almost turned on its head, what's the extreme view in the race? So I thought they figured out, Democrats figured out how to talk about it effectively. And I don't think that Republicans had an effective counter to that. It motivated Democratic voters more than parental notification motivated Republican voters, I think is the bottom line. It, it, it got more of their voters out. Yeah, that, that's actually super fascinating uh, that you say that. And I think that rings true in some of the other races in other states that happened yesterday, Virginia, yeah. yep. here in Pennsylvania with some of our court races. So yeah, that that's that's interesting. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I was I was fascinated about the way that they talked about it, how different it was than how we've heard candidates talk about it in the past. Getting off of the legislative uh, elections for a second, something I've learned about Jersey pretty quickly: super parochial. 
Uh, and that's coming from yeah. Pennsylvania, which yeah. is also very parochial. Yeah. Were there any uh, local races? I know obviously there was a ton of stuff down ballot as well. Anything in right. particular that stood out to you or really surprised you or uh, you found particularly interesting as a takeaway from yesterday outside of the legislative races? That's great. Well, there were two county races in which control was up. And one of them was Gloucester County. The Democrats held it. Republicans have been coming hard for it uh, now for the last two years um, and uh, have been unable to to wrestle control away from the Democrats. That's going to be one. I think Gloucester, we're going to continue to see that be a target uh, in the years to come. I don't think Republicans are giving up, nor should they give up. Um, so Democrats are going to have to work at that every year. They're never going to be able to take it for granted. That's going to be a very swingy area. Um, the other county race that was interesting was Michael Testa, chairman of the Senate, state senator and chairman of the uh, uh, Cumberland County Republicans, wiped out the Democrats in Cumberland County. Um, it is as dark red as you can possibly get. And you, you know, for as well as the South Jersey Democrats did in their part of South Jersey, Michael Testa did very well in his part of South Jersey. And so you almost see these uh, rival turfs now emerging between Testa's South Jersey and Norcross's South Jersey. Um, it's pretty interesting. So then there were a couple of other local races in Bricktown, uh, uh, a Republican legislator, John Catalano, Republican assemblyman, actually chose to leave the legislature to run for brick mayor as the Republican. The popular mayor, Ducey, uh, had left the mayor's spot to become a judge. Catalano thought that in Republican Ocean County, he could win this major town back. He failed to do that. Ducey's successor was able to win that seat and hold that seat. And so that was an interesting race. Another race in Ocean County, local race um, that turned out opposite was Tom's River. In Tom's River, uh, former uh, um, Andy Kim staffer um, had hoped um, to um, uh, um, win that race against Dan Roderick, uh, the Republican councilman and now mayor. He was utterly unable to do so. That was about, it became an issue of, uh, of, of opposition, local opposition in town for development plans and redevelopment of the town. And quite frankly, how many Orthodox Jews are moving into the town because of the redevelopment. And so there were some dog whistles associated with that race. Unfortunately, it got a little heated, a little nasty, um, and, and, not, and not all good messaging, quite frankly. Um, but Roderick was able to capitalize on that and win that race by a very large margin. The other thing I'll say about local, before I move on, I apologize that I'm prattling on here. Is no, please. That, Oh, good, good. Is that um, Vin Gopal, the Democratic state senator in Republican Monmouth County, who won by a landslide, 60 to 40. Um, what he did so well in this race was he almost ran his race as individual local races in every town. He's known for two years that they were coming after him because they took out, a, Republicans won those assembly seats last time. So he's known from day one that he needed to deliver for his district. He got a lot of money for each individual town and the budget process. Um, and he let voters in each town know exactly what he had done for them each town. He mailed to every town to let them know. He did um, uh, uh, digital targeting in each town to let voters know what they did, what he'd done for them. And so this was not one legislative campaign. This was a series of individual local races. And it was very smart 
and it was obviously very effective. Have you seen anything like that before in New Jersey? Or maybe not to that extent. Uh, right. So in the dark ages, before we had digital, um, Van Drew and I um, devised what we called uh, a boutique campaign um, in which we um, mailed individual messages to individual towns. Uh, if we had a teacher of the year who was going to uh, endorse Jeff, we would get the teacher to write a letter. We'd handwrite those envelopes. And, and it was it was it was. I would say the non-digital equivalent, the primitive 30-year-old equivalent. So when I looked at, at Sean Darcy and, and Laura Matos, who both came into class and talked about what they were doing and saw how effective it was, I had to smile because I thought, okay, this is the modern equivalent of what we tried to do. And I had to admire that. Well, and I yeah. imagine in New Jersey too, I mean, you, you're surrounded by the two two of the most expensive media markets in the country for advertising in New York and Philadelphia, yeah. correct? So, yeah, I mean, so people were surprised to see so much direct mail in this campaign. And oh, isn't that a throwback? But what is a more effective way to reach to narrow cast to target your voters in a way that you're not just there was some New York TV that went uh, in, in Bergen County. And when you think about it, um, New York TV is reaching voters in Connecticut, is reaching non-voters. huge. York, right? So think about it. You're trying to reach 200,000 people in Bergen County, and you're spending all this money to communicate to millions of people. You know, there's, it's no wonder that mail becomes an effective way, and of course, digital as well, and social media, because those are the methods in which you can drill down and hit only your voters. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and then at least like looking, looking ahead, um, you know, because that, that's exactly what you do the day after Election Day. Right, you look right. ahead. So people are, you know, looking at the presidential race now. A lot of focus will be on that. Yeah. But looking at least for New Jersey, touched on it a little bit before, but looking ahead for governor um, in 2025, Governor Murphy's term limited. So. So he won't be able to run. Yeah. Any thoughts, predictions on who's gonna who's gonna come out for to run for Dem as, as a Democrat or a Republican? Well, I'm gonna give you what is the um, the political response, which is not what you asked for first, because you asked <laughs> about Murphy, right? Um, I'll I'll give you that part first, because you asked about Murphy. Murphy did something that very few governors do, and that is to defy the um, the midterm losses. You know, as the incumbent governor. And there aren't a lot of governors in New Jersey who have done that. Uh, the governor I worked for, McGreevy, did. Uh, but Murphy joins a very elite club now. He's helping himself. He's helping his party. He's going to have an easier time for the next few years. Also potentially helping his wife if she is interested in running for the U.S. Senate, as she's said to be. Um, the Murphy brand emerges stronger today, uh, having beaten the midterms. And it emerges stronger with the chair, county chairs and the county organizations that she's got to go to and appeal to for support as she's running against Sandy Kim and maybe others. Um, so um, big night, I think, for her indirectly because of the success of her husband. Now I'll get to the governor's race um, and, and, and tell you that um, I have been very impressed with the way that Steve Fulop has been using his time, the mayor of Jersey City. He got in very early, more than two years, two and a half years ahead of the race. He announced that he was running, very unusual, but he used every week to announce more supporters, 
more mayors, um, in some cases unions, but mostly mayors. Why is that smart? Because county democratic organizations are not ready to make a decision on who they're going to support. But you know who is? Mayors who he has, who Philip has served with. And so by the time the time comes for these county organizations to make up their decisions, to make up their minds, there is going to be an army of mayors who are going to say, I know exactly who you should support. You should support this guy. And he's also run a very effective campaign so far of putting policy position, detailed policy positions out there. So I've been impressed with how he has used his time. Having said that, he's not going to clear the field. You're going to have very strong challenges from Mike B. Congressman Mikey Sherrill, from Congressman Josh Gonheimer. They are in. I fully believe that they're full steam ahead. So this is going to be a really fine set of choices that Democrats are going to have uh, between some more moderate uh, uh, lanes and they're going to have some more progressive lanes and they're going to have to see which way they want to go um, as, a, as, a, as a party. Uh, Republicans, this is largely now going to be a question, I think, of um, of Jack Chitterelli, who said the day after the election that he's running again, ran against uh, Phil Murphy last time, came within just less than just under four points. He's not going anywhere. He's running again. He's going to have to contend with a very stiff Republican challenge from Bill Spadia, the radio personality, the conservative radio personality in the state, who's really trying to mobilize conservative Republicans across New Jersey and is going to run a pretty spirited challenge against Jack um, and is going to try and wrestle the nomination away from him. Uh, certainly, uh, the feeling is you're not getting a pass. You're going to have to work for this next time. There will be others. John Bramnick won a big race last night. A lot of people think that given um, the fact that he won in some local races, he won in the Republicans won in his town, unexpected train station towns uh, that had been going Democrat, that um, uh, maybe that pretends that um, he will want to run. So um, I think these are going to be big fields uh, that we're going to see because they're Republicans and Democrats are attracted to this open seat, you know, this situation where the office has not been open for eight years. Well, I'll be sitting here in Pennsylvania with my popcorn getting ready. <laughs> nice. We were, we were in your, we were watching you with interest last time. Oh you? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, this has been a great discussion. We really appreciate you you coming on. And I, I do have a couple, we always like to ask our guests a couple of fun questions. Oh, good. Um, so I have, I have two, I think Demara might have one, but um, my first question is probably the most important question of this entire podcast. Is it pork roll or Taylor ham? <laughs> so I say this with great affection for uh, Senator John Taylor. Uh, right. He, he people people may or may not know that the, the, the most prominent meeting spot in Trenton, a place where Woodrow Wilson and others were nominated uh, historically, not there anymore but a great historic spot in the city of Trenton was Taylor's Opera House. Um, and it was his Opera House. So um, I say with all due respect to him and to his name that it's pork roll. It's just a regional oh. thing. <laughs> uh, I, I really, I, I don't, I don't, I, I come into it honestly. There's no two ways about it for me. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, that, that explains the North Jersey, South Jersey divide. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm team Taylor yes. ham all the way. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. when I moved to Pennsylvania, people said, Oh, uh, would you like pork roll? And I said, well, what? 
What's <laughs> <Which> crawl? <laughs> well, there's, you know, for you now, of course, this is going to be completely unfair because Scrapple doesn't hold a candle to pork roll or Taylorham, but uh, I, I agree. Oh, I don't know yeah, about that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna oh, have to yeah, disagree with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Too many, oh. too many Pennsylvania diners in the tea during the campaign <laughs> days. You know, survived on Scrapple. <laughs> and then, and then the other the other question I have is, you know, growing up, I was very like well, I couldn't drive a car at the time, but my dad, my mom would pull into a gas station and someone else would pump their own gas. We actually just wrote wow. a blog. We wrote a blog post. Uh, so for our listeners can check it out at dmgs.com, but we wrote, we wrote a blog post recently um, in the last week or so, basically talking about how New Jersey is the last state in the country now where it is illegal to pump your own gas. Oregon passed a law this year. Um, they were the, the other holdout. Um, so they're, I guess joining the yeah. the mainstream is it from your perspective? Do you? Th- I mean, there's been a, a bill to to uh, to remove the the ban in New Jersey. I mean, do you want it to go away? I mean, it's kind of oh, nice, no, especially no, in the winter. I don't want it to go away, and I, I don't know if any private <laughs> does. And here's here's what I've said. Um, we we thought that we might finally see the change when gas station owners, which have been very protective of this for decades, um, when they finally saw how hard it was to get the amount of labor that they needed, as many industries have faced in recent years, right? When when they saw how hard it was to keep attendance and to pay attendance, we thought that that really might start to change things. And it did for them. They were ready to, they were ready to change it. But this is New Jersey and there's nothing for nothing. And uh, so if station owners really ever wanna get serious about this, I think there'd have to be some, of course, there's never going to be an explicit promise or quid pro quo or anything like that. But I think for New Jerseyans to support this, there'd have to be some understanding that some savings is going to be associated with that. Because otherwise, there's a service we get now that we're paying for. And um, why would we want to give that up? So if you want to get the public on board, show us the money. And unless you do, and until you do, I think the public's going to continue to support the system we have. I think people love it. Well, I, yeah, I mean, as a former New Jersey resident, I love it when I visit because um, gas is cheaper in New Jersey to begin right. with. And somebody pumps it for you, especially in the in the cold winter months. You know, you don't have to get out of your car. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's great. And just a funny quick story. My, my grandmother spent most of her adult life in New Jersey and she and my grandfather retired to Florida about f- f- 15 years ago. And she, when when they drove down to uh, to Florida, my grandmother went to a gas station to fill up for the first time. And she had to call my dad and say, Kenny, how do I do this? There's no one here to pump my own gas. <laughs> so she had That's to find amazing. a stranger. She had to find a stranger to help her uh, pump amazing. gas. So That's yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. Oh man. Well, well, this has been fun. I hope, I hope, I hope it uh, did what you guys wanted to do. Um, I really enjoyed it. One of the lighter looks at the post-election that I've had. Yeah, no, for sure. And we appreciate giving us so much, so much time. That I know how busy you are, especially around election times. One, one last question for you, if you don't mind. No. So I know that uh, if you had a chance to listen, and for all the listeners, I'm going to listen to our last episode. Oh, Ryan yeah, and I did a right. Halloween episode. Um, 
we're wondering, is there a story from New Jersey we we might have missed on including in the last Absolutely. Episode? And this isn't this isn't a hollow this is closure to a Christmas story, actually. Uh, but in 1978, uh, there are uh, office parties going on across the state house, December 22nd, probably the last day that people are in the office before uh, the Christmas break. Um, there was a woman, Jean Zielinski. She's 48 years old. She lives with her mother in Ringo's, you know, probably about an hour away from the state house. Um, she um, got upset with her mom. Uh, she, unfortunately, there was an argument, some bickering. She'd had enough. She strangled her mother to death. She, uh, standing over the body, took a kitchen knife, cut her mother's head off. Not a great story here. And promptly got in the car, put it in a plastic bag, a plastic shopping bag, and went to the state house, drove up the steps to the state house, hit one of the marble columns of the state house, gets out of the car, holds up the plastic bag, and she says, Merry Christmas. This is what you want. And uh, it's a horrible scene. One of the secretaries has the presence of mind to look in the bag and seize her mother's head. So that is probably the most Halloween story that I can think of that involves the New Jersey State House. I don't know if there are any ghosts associated with it, but um, certainly the, the spookiest uh, story that I can think of. That's Jeez. insane. That it, yeah, I mean, we wow. heard a lot of crazy stories. I, that might be that might be the craziest one, um, <laughs> and the most uh, modern. Well, it's and Jersey, modern. right? So we're gonna get. Of course, we're gonna. <laughs> yeah. Well, we exactly. This has been great. We really appreciate uh, how much time you've given us today. Where can people follow you online and find more about the Rebovich Institute? Thank you. It's uh, rider.edu slash Rebovich. R e b o v i c h. All right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you taking the time today. This yeah, was thank a lot you. of fun. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Both Ryan's. Nice, nice getting to spend time with you. And that's that's it for another podcast, guys. We we appreciate you uh listening in. I thought we had a pretty good conversation uh discussing a lot all things New Jersey elections. And um now, now that we're the you know, here the day after the election, um all focus is on to the presidential and Senate races, congressional races, it's going to be it's going to be very, very interesting. I think it's probably the best way to put it um, heading into 2024. So we'll stay tuned and I'm sure we'll have some guests on at some point to discuss uh, some of these Senate races, presidential race and, you know, see what's going on. So, Brian, any closing words? Now you're going to gather us out. Yeah, I'll gavel us out. I got to go uh, at some point today, build a crib for my future son. So um, exciting times, but got to get some work done first, of course. So uh, yeah, gavel us out. We will uh, see you next time when we will be back in session.